and welcome to Purposeful Empathy, a show dedicated to conversations with people who want to grow and spread empathy throughout the world. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. This is a show about people who are uh, full of empathy on purpose, living their lives with empathy and intentionality. And I'm really thrilled to welcome Wally Shaw to the show. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Anita. I appreciate you having me. Great. Well, so the audience needs to know a little bit about you. Um, so I, I guess the best way to describe you as an artist and a poet, you're a spoken word poet, but you're also an advocate for all sorts of really important and timely issues like diversity and inclusion, bullying, leadership, masculinity, and mental health. So we're going to like mm-hmm. talk about some of that today. Before we get into any of that, um, I think we can trace it all back to you as a teenager, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're a Muslim man who was born to Pakistani family or like the immigrant story in Canada. And that came with some baggage. And as a result, you were on sort of like this, you know, at risk track. And do you want to tell us a little bit about your life back then? Absolutely. So uh, just to preface all of this, really, when you come from an immigrant background and you're a young kid and your parents are struggling to learn the language, get money together, think about where they're going to live, how they're going to survive. It's, it's really difficult not only to deal with your parents, but then also it's almost like a, a, a double-edged sword because you're also dealing with how to adjust to this new world that you've been brought to, right? And so I was, I was fairly young. I was about you know, three years old or so when I came. So it was almost like I opened my eyes here in Canada. But one of the big struggles that I had was trying to fit in and find my identity because even though when I was at home, my parents were always very focused on uh, you know, our faith and our culture and what it means to be South Asian and the cultural values that come with that. And when I went to school, or when I was outside of home, it was me trying to fit into these Western values that ultimately were sometimes at odds with what my parents believed in. And so that led to a lot of dialogue and conversation that was very critical. And so it was difficult for me to really find my identity because at home, yes, I was this Muslim South Asian kid but then when i was at school it was almost like i didn't want to be associated with that because then you got the terrorist jokes then you got you know people making fun of you at school bullying you for like what is that in your in your lunch like you know do you you really eat that all these little things that even the way my name is spelled like when i when i look back in retrospect i actually was reflecting on this is that i was very self-conscious of the way that my name is spelled because it's spelled w-a-l-i and a lot of people would say well that's a weird way to spell your name Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be spelled W-A-L-L-Y? Mm-hmm. And then I'd go home and I just, I would think about it for hours because when you're a kid in, in, in school, I mean, these things stick with you and you just ponder on it. And I would ask my mom, like, why did you give me this name? You know, I would always have these questions about where do I fit in? What's my identity? And one of the things that really helped me find that was, you know, a peer group that I felt accepted in. And at the time it was, you know, listening to rap music and playing basketball, those were like the things that, you know, we did as young guys. And ultimately, a lot of them were also kids that got into trouble that came from broken homes or like me, they lived in a low social economic neighborhood because their parents couldn't afford to live in a nice neighborhood. They couldn't afford to have uh, some of the luxuries in life, like going to a private school or, you know, having the opportunity to go to community centers and be a part of the drop-in program. So we would just hang out and play basketball. We'd freestyle in the hallways of our school. And that was just the way that I was, you know, brought up in, in terms of me being with my peer group. And so uh, 
along with that came a lot of negativities and getting into fights and getting into trouble with the police was something that we saw very often in our neighborhood. You know, we saw kids that came from immigrant neighborhoods and backgrounds and they didn't have any money and so they sold drugs to get by, right? And this was something that we just sort of normalized over time because it was the way to get out of it, right? Your parents were too busy and they were working to make ends meet. You had to do something. You had to contribute. You had to find your own place in life. And, you know, you did whatever was necessary to get there. And so uh, amongst this trial and tribulation between me fitting into the Western world, but also me trying to appease my parents and try to be academic and get them to, you know, get on board with, I didn't really want to go to school, but I was doing it for them. It was difficult. And really what, where it all culminated was uh, being arrested when I was 15 years old for a fight that happened. And this was a very powerful moment for me because when I was getting arrested, there was a very particular moment that I'll never forget. The officer who was making the arrest opened the cruiser door and basically pushed me inside it and he was about to slam the door. And as he was closing the door, as my door was closing, there was an elevator that was directly in front of the cruiser in the lobby of our building. And as my door was closing, I was looking out to that elevator door. And as my door closed, the elevator door opened. And as it opened, I made eye contact with my mom. And she immediately came outside. She was running. And she saw her, her son get taken away. And by this time, the officer who was making the arrest had made his way to the front of the cruiser. He was pulling out. And I remember my mom was yelling, Where's my son going? Give me my son back. And the rest of the night was a blur because when I was in the cell, I was thinking about what my mom said. And I was also thinking about the sacrifices that both of my parents had made coming to Canada. This was not easy for them. And the lifestyle choices that I was making and that I had aspired to make were going to make things exponentially more difficult for them. And I didn't want to do that as a son. I felt like I had an obligation to my parents to do better. And that was, a, that was a very stark awakening at 15 years old. But ultimately, the events that led up to it were a realization and a reminder that I could be better than where I'm coming from. And I want to make my parents proud. And I want to do it the right way. I don't want them to be ashamed or feel like they've wasted their life coming to this country and giving me the opportunity to succeed when I'm throwing that away. And so I think really what I needed was a wake-up call to remind me that there was more than I could do with my life. Well, it's, you know, I remember you sharing that story. That's how we met, because you were telling that story on stage in, a, in one of your poems. And um, I think what I'm circling back to is that, you know, uh, anybody who comes across sort of like an at-risk youth can remember to, like, turn up the empathy crank on, like, you just don't know the story of that kid's life and that kid who may seem at risk may have so not may have probably does have so much untapped potential and yeah. it just requires a little bit of support from the right people at the right time right like I know in your case it was a it was a school teacher it was a teacher like you know a, a cliche of sorts but like a teacher who saw potential and said Wally let's talk you know so can you tell me yeah. more about that yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because sometimes all it really takes is that one person who is empathetic towards you. Mm -hmm. and, it, and the power of someone just saying, I'm here for you and I believe in you, 
is so monumental for a young kid who is in a lot of ways very impressionable and looking for someone to support them, looking for someone to tell them that they're, they're there for them, right? Especially when you do come from a background where you have strikes against you, right? Where there is racial profiling in terms of the police that, that you run into in your community, where your parents aren't always able to understand the struggles that you're going through. Because you can't openly talk to your mom and dad about things like dating coming from a South Asian Muslim background. You know, that doesn't happen because for them, that wasn't something that they grew up with. So how are you going to even have to start the conversation with them about that, right? It's a concept they don't even understand. So these were all the, the challenges that I was experiencing. And to have a teacher stop and say, you know, I got your back, mm-hmm. that meant so much to me. And I never expected it from a teacher because I was the kid that was counted out. I was the kid that teachers didn't want to have in their class, right? Making trouble and being that, being that at-risk kid was a difficult person for, kids, for teachers to deal with. But this was one teacher that you know, really took the initiative to be there for me. And she gave me a book of poetry and I'll never forget it because I, I remember reading this book of poetry and it inspired me so much. This book was called The Rose That Grew From Concrete and it's written by Tupac Shakur, who is um, also a rap artist, but he's a poet. And many people don't know this, but the three-letter word rap is an acronym and it stands for rhythm and poetry. Oh, and so poetry, yeah, so poetry is embedded in rap music. And I was a huge fan of rap music, right? So there was this connection that she was making that I thought was so cool. And in this book, Tupac was talking about growing up without a father figure, growing up in, in a broken community, talking about how he was being racially discriminated because of, because of his skin color. These were all things that I could relate to in certain ways. And I said, you know what? There's something powerful here. The way that he's sharing his narrative, I have the power to do the same thing. And that's when I started writing poetry. Wow. And so since I have so much respect for teachers, you want to give a shout out to the, what, her name? Miss Riley. She is like, she's like one of my really good friends. You know, I, I remember there were so many days where I just walk into the English department office and just have a chat with her and it would just lift my spirits. And so to all the teachers that really go out of their way for their students and and the social workers and, you know, anyone really who works with young people and is there for them, whether you're a parent, like this is all thanks to you. So thank you to the teachers and the parents (laughs) to make this happen. So, but, okay, so thank you to them, the ones that are getting it right, but you, I also do a lot of speaking to, um, like, teachers, uh, parents, even companies who are trying to understand millennials or Gen Zs. Like, what do you think they don't understand about the younger generation that you could bridge some understanding? Well, I think, I think the big thing, kind of like how I talked about my parents, having a generational gap and a cultural gap between the way that they were raised and the way I was raised. I think it's very similar when you're coming from a different age, you're coming from, you know, bullying, for example, right? Bullying stopped at three o'clock 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't stop ever mm-hmm. because we have cell phones. I feel cause I'm, I'm teaching 20 something year olds and I have for a decade and I think they're awesome. I think young people are amazing I also see that there is a lot of angst and anxiety and loneliness. And I think older generations kind of think like every generation has kind of had their stuff to complain about. But I feel this generation, I mean, even before COVID, um, you know, 
what the hell, what kind of planet are we inheriting? I mean, climate change is a reality for their lifetime that they're going to have to grapple with. And I think that, you know, you, you talked about social media being a 24 seven, like it, you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and the implications of that are huge. So I think, you know, you stepping up and, and, and advocating on behalf of young people and their mental health is a really important thing that people have got to get. That's not just sort of like, you know, you don't pay lip service to it's a thing. It's real. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think too, like for me in my own personal life, I look back to my experiences and this is why I think having, I think having a lot of challenges as a person is important because those challenges mold you and shape you into a better person. Now, if I hadn't been arrested in front of my mom, if I hadn't gone through the trials and tribulations of being an immigrant kid coming from a low social economic background, I wouldn't be able to relate to some of the kids that I work with when I do workshops and, and perform at schools and do keynotes. Because I have that life experience, I can say, I know what it's like to be in your shoes right now. Yeah. I know what it's like to, you know, want to be like these rap artists that you see in music videos that talk about sex and drugs and money and how that's appealing to you. I get it because I was there. I thought that was cool too. So is that what inspired um, the the most recent poem that uh, was like to the graduating class of 2020 that's gone viral that we'll post in the description below? Yeah. Um, talk cool. about that, uh, that poem, please. Yeah, so that was a very difficult poem to write. The way I wrote the poem, uh, it's a it's a style called palindrome. It's a very particular style of poetry, and so every line that you write can be read in reverse, and it still makes sense. So it takes a long time to write this. It's not easy. So it took me two weeks to craft this, and the reason that I wrote it, and really to preface the poem, I knew because I work with so many schools and students that the kids right now are having it the worst. Mm -hmm. They just want their summer. They want their grad. They want their prom. They want to be able to go and play basketball or street hockey with their friends and i get i have a 14 year old sister she's in the same boat i remember when i was a kid i can't imagine not being able to see my friends for three four months you know and then if i do see them it's like virtually or six feet apart and so you know when i thought about it i had all these you know these gut reactions as to how people are feeling and i sat there with it and i said you know what let's try to flip this how can I take all these gut reactions, these negative thoughts that people have and make them positive? And so every line that I wrote, when you read it backwards, there was a positive line. And so it sounds really like, almost like, wow, why would Wally write something so negative? But then when it goes backwards, there's this positive ending to it. And it makes you think about perspective because everything in life happens for a reason. Anything that we go through is a challenge that either makes us or breaks us. And we decide as people whether it will make us better. When you think about, for example, a diamond, a diamond is created how? With millions of years of intense heat and pressure. Just a lump of coal when you think about it. But through that process of refinement, it becomes a beautiful diamond that we sell for high value. And it's the same thing with human beings. We go through these things that challenge us and they are difficult processes, but they can eventually make us beautiful and better, similar to the diamond. And when I think about COVID and when I think about the, the situation that all of us are in, yes, it's difficult. People are losing their jobs. Relationships are ending. People have lost their loved ones, unfortunately. And my prayers go out to these people. But at the same time, there is something so powerful in understanding the amount of appreciation that we, you know, we have or lack thereof for people. 
right? The grocery, the, the, the people who work as clerks in the grocery store have never been more appreciated right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we look down at them and now people are praising them and comparing them to frontline workers as they should be. And so it's important to think about how perspectives can change in these moments of difficulty and what we can learn from them. And that's why I wanted to write this poem. Mm-hmm. I love it. Congrats. And I want everybody who's watching this video to watch it. It's really, really incredible. Um, so to pivot now to this topic of toxic masculinity, um, let's unpack that for a bit because what we're not saying is masculinity is toxic. Uh, we're saying that we live in a culture that celebrates toxic masculinity. Yeah. Can you help explain the difference and what that's about. <laughs> so I think I think there's a there's a really big fundamental difference. I think, you know, there's there's people who will look at masculinity and say, uh, you know, there's something wrong with that. Like there's being being a man in this day and age and with the Me Too movement and with everything that's happening in the world, you, you might think, you know, men are the ones that always catch the heat. But no, that's not true. I think there's a lot of great men in the world. I think there's certain qualities that attribute masculinity um, to toxic masculinity, which needs to be understood, you know, and that's the idea of androcentrism and patriarchy and what those things mean. And when you're, when you're very intentional about using your privilege as a man to demean others and to subordinate others, I think that's where we talk about toxic masculinity, you know, and inherently we don't have these conversations with young men often. It's it's a difficult conversation for young men to have, especially when they don't have strong male role models, right? Like to attribute strength and and fear to what it means to be a man is almost delusional when strength comes from patience just as much as it comes from any aggression or, or physical anger. You know, I think that's, it's easy to punch a hole in the drywall, but it's more difficult to refrain yourself from saying or doing something that you know would hurt someone. And that's where true strength comes from, right? But because there's a lack of male role models having these discussions and, you know, a lot of young kids will get socialized by mass media and Hollywood movies. These are conversations that are very difficult to have. And so, you know, when I, when I was a young kid, I mean, this is funny that I think about it too, but, you know, when I was a young kid, there was this rap artist named Soldier Boy who was massive at the time, which he was probably the worst rapper to listen to. And he had these like, baggy jeans i don't know if you remember this but there was a whole time in the world where like super baggy jeans and 5xl t-shirts were the norm for kids and that is when i grew up unfortunately and so you know going to school with these 5xl t-shirts and i remember my mom would stop me at the door and she'd say wally your shirt is so long why are you wearing a dress to school today (laughs) and i laugh about it now but you know at the time you just wanted to do whatever you could to fit in And it's the same thing with being a bit of a jerk to your friends to feel like you can assert this dominance and be more masculine with being a jerk to girls and leading people on and and, and this idea of sexual conquest as opposed to an emotional connection, which is so important. And we forget these things in the middle of trying to fit in, trying to appease to this status quo. It's it's a very very toxic thing. Wait, can I put you on the spot? Is there a uh, best hit list that I could call on you to offer a short poem, or is that uh, I needed to give you some he- heads up? Well, I mean, there's 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 a couple. I have to think about you know maybe a small excerpt of one because they're okay. like three or four minute long, right? Um, but there's there's a bit from since we're talking about uh, toxic masculinity. Uh, there's a bit from the poem that I wrote 
it's called Dear Future Son. It's in my TED Talk. Maybe you can add a link to it. Um, but there's a bit from it that I, I find particularly powerful. So uh, maybe I'll share like the first minute or so. Okay. And then I'll, yeah, I'll let you guys, the viewers, uh, watch the rest of it on the TED Talk. To my future son, when I was a kid, I was told that big boys don't cry. That instead of expressing our emotions, that we should lie. Hide behind a mask to get by. Conditioned to believe that I should be one of the tough guys and put on a tough disguise. It's not a surprise that innocence dies at the age of 10. Or maybe it's just that pop culture lies to us then because we got our eyes on a TV mesmerized by the men who reinforce patriarchy and hyper-masculine trends. I had friends get bullied for wearing pink because in fourth grade, the color of your shirt could make you stink. And in 12th grade, you were a little girl if you didn't drink. It's sad to see the way society thinks. My son, being a man doesn't mean being aggressive. You want big biceps, but a big heart is so much more impressive. And honestly, some of these bodybuilders are a little excessive. And young kids wanting that makes me so sad because why would anyone want to be a balloon animal so bad? Do you do it for them? I hope that being better for you is part of the plan, but it's okay, son, I've been there. And I understand that growing up, with the world against you isn't a simple task. Even Jim Carrey will tell you it's easy to get by wearing masks. Society and institutions make it so hard for kids growing up who don't know where to start. I see the consequences of families that split up and get torn apart so I won't let my child give his mother a Father's Day card. We live in a world where Rappers pay women to get naked in videos for more promo. And the intent is tapping that girl while double tapping her photos. And sex makes a boy a man, but gets a girl labeled a hodo. And boys can't say they love each other unless it's followed by no homo. But I want to teach my son. I want to teach my son that if he argues with a woman, he doesn't have to raise his voice or raise his hand to treat a woman like he would treat his daughter and learn respect as a man, to love his mother through old age and do whatever he can. But first, I need to ask myself, is that the man that I am? Thanks, Anita. Small little excerpt. Oh my God, that's just small. Oh, thank you so much for doing thank that you. spontaneously. We didn't plan that, viewers. Thank you so much, namaste. Thank you. Um, Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to